So welcome to another episode of the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations. This is our new podcast where we try to catch up with a few different characters in and around the surf scene in the Nordics um, and and further afield. Uh, This is your host, Joshua B. Kirkman, and it's a pleasure today for me to have a beer in Malmö with a man that isn't uh, a stranger to many people's uh, at all is in the surf industry at least it's jeff flint so welcome to the podcast jeff it's good to be here it's good to have you and it's good for me to be here as well because where are we sitting do you want to just let the listener know where we're sitting and why we're sitting here um we are at the malmo uh malmo brewing tap room uh down definitely down in malmo and we're just um having a beer we're having a beer we're having a beer it's interesting. I'll dive straight into this. Like, if, if people look at your Instagram lately, they'll see that you're probably more swimming in beer than the ocean these days. So, what's that all about? How did you get into this space of kind of shooting photos for the for the craft beer industry in the Nordics? Well, like when I was like I grew up in Southern California. So my wife and I, uh, my wife is from Sweden, and we lived in California together. Uh, for about seven years and we were really into wine Uh Uh, being in Southern California we had the most amazing wine and access to such good cheap wine uh, or not cheap but inexpensive wine Mm. and we just really got into it and then when I moved to Sweden like 10 years ago we just couldn't find like super (laughs) super good wine for the price we were looking at so I kind of shied away from wine and I just kind of went back to drinking just regular beers. And then the whole craft beer industry has really boomed in the last like two or three years here in Sweden. And uh, a couple of my friends, I've become friends with uh, a couple of the really good brewery, breweries here. So um, yeah, I've just, uh, I, I just see the, I see the industry growing and I, I, I kind of connect personality wise with the, with the beer industry. It's like, like growing up shooting surfing, I realized like I, I would shoot younger surf surfers and bodyboarders kind of like like you, mm. and see their see how they grow up. And then after like 10, 15 years, some of them like would walk away from it. Some of them were world champs. Some yeah. were like you know big sponsors and stuff like that. And the same thing with the with the beer industry. Everything is so young and new that I started documenting them. And some of them are going to be like world famous. Some of them actually are already are. After a couple of years, they're yeah. like well known within the beer industry and all around the world. Yeah. And some of them are just like uh, starting to like, you know, some of them will fail. Some mm. of them will. Some people will. I don't know. Some people will like just like in the surf industry. Some people will kill themselves. Mm. Some people will overdose. Mm. Uh, so it's the same thing with the beer industry, um, except it's different types of action. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm just here document. I'm documenting it, and at the same time, I know the power of like social media. I know the power of photography, so I can use my photography skills to actually like amplify the beer industry here in Sweden or show the world because we have like these awesome tools now mm. to like document and to, to show the world like, hey, we have amazing beer. So. That's interesting. So it's because of its newness, uh, you feel like you're on the kind of the start of a journey with the beer industry or with the craft beer industry, you could say. Yeah, exactly. That's, mm. that's what it is. It's like, it, it's so new mm. and it has so much farther to go uh, here in, in Scandinavia or in mostly in Sweden, but mm. Scandinavia, it's so young, the whole craft beer industry. And, you know, um, a lot of people don't know that we're, that with the whole like alcohol system and stuff mm. like that here in Scandinavia or in Sweden, uh, we're we're kind of limited on certain types of things, um, you know, especially if you compare it to like Denmark and or America. So, 
Yeah, um, it's young, and 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 then if you were to know Swedish people and like how they're into their trends, mm. um, they're very much into. People are starting to jump onto the whole craft beer um, bandwagon, mm. and um, so yeah, I, I see a lot of it growing, and mm. so it's kind of cool. And the, and the main thing for me is like, it's the for for the main thing for me is the artistic side of it. The, the brewers, they're making, like, beers out of, like, chocolates and, like, all kinds of weird stuff, like cinnamon and fruits and stuff. So I look at it as an artistic side, very, like, uh, kind of like the food industry. And then um, also it's very, yeah, it's so, it's so artistic that, like, it's like photography, except instead of, like when, like, when I take a picture, I can express my photos, like, through visually. Mm. But with beer, you can, like taste the artistic craft of it mm. so I, I really like that side of it mm. and then like personality wise all the brewer, most of the breweries or brewers are like really really cool guys mm. um, and they just they're like surfers yeah they're very creative and open minded and uh, very easy going so that's kind of how it is that's super cool you, you seem quite happy with it as a, um, as a as a thing to do with your time these days and I mean let's let's take this conversation back a few years <laughs> back to the very beginning um i mean you're not it's no secret that you're not taking photos of surfing so much these days mm-hmm. um give or take the odd trip um around scandinavia but um where did where did your journey with i guess the ocean start because photography came later but where did it really all start for you for me it it started just growing up in southern california um just growing up all around uh, around the ocean and mainly the surf industry um i would say the main person that really put me like focused on the surf industry and or the bodyboarding industry Mm. would be donovan frankenrider oh yeah right yeah he was actually my neighbor okay Uh, or we lived like uh he lived like 200 meters from me yeah um his dad built a skateboard ramp right next on my neighbor's yard yeah so um, I followed Donovan from when he was sponsored in, like, junior high from, like, when he was with Billabong at, like, grade 7 and 8. And um, I definitely, like, I met Bob Hurley and, like, Paul Gomez and them from Hurley. Okay. Um, or it was actually Billabong back then. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would say 93. And uh, I was also, so, yeah, I was just hanging out, uh, kind of hanging out with Donovan and stuff like that a little bit at the beach I mean he was he was big time he was hanging already hanging out with pro surfers yeah he was hanging out with the San Clemente crowd and stuff like that but his, he, I remember with Donovan he would like drive his I think he was 14 years old and he would take his dad would let him drive the car <laughs> to the beach yeah right uh, his dad would be sitting in the front seat and yeah. we would be sitting in the back of like the Sick. truck like and meeting Donovan watching him grow up and then started shooting photos of him yeah because uh, my dad used to own a one hour photo lab okay back in the 90s yeah, so right. I was wor- so when I turned 16 I started working my dad's photo lab uh-huh. and then so I had access to cameras and sure. film developing and then I was also hanging out with Donovan and still going to the beach this and that um, and bodyboarding as well mm. and so I would uh, shoot photos of Donovan and then Donovan actually introduced me to uh, Flame uh, Larry Flamore okay. which is the he was the photo editor of Surfing Magazine for like Right. 25, 25 years. Okay. Um, so I kind of got my foot in the door with Surfing Magazine. And then also what I saw and how I've, like, grown up is, like, okay, uh, Surfing Magazine was, was uh, or actually Bodyboarding Magazine was owned by Surfing Magazine. That's right, yeah. And then also a couple of my friends were, uh, like, Joe Grodzen. He was, a, he was, like, an amateur bodyboarder. And he did the, the very, one. he did, like, 
for his first big gig, yeah. he did a test pilot, the okay. bodyboarding test pilot, testing all the surfboards, sure. or uh, sorry, testing all the uh, bodyboards yeah, right. for Bodyboarding Magazine, and okay. that was in 90, I think, 97. Okay. So Bodyboarding Magazine needed help f- uh, photographing Joe for an article, so I was, um, cool. I was shooting Joe, and then also hanging out with Donovan, and then I knew at the same time, like, network-wise, I yeah. was like... Uh, kind of getting my foot in with Bodyboarding Magazine, which was owned by Surfing Magazine, and then, and then I knew I had to prove myself. So, did you were you a surfer or a bodyboarder yourself in the beginning, or or did you just act? Did you come to it from just taking photos of the actual sports? No, I grew up bodyboarding okay. my whole my whole life, okay. and I still bodyboard. Um, my surfing skills are very, I would say, amateur. <laughs> I, can, I, I can surf, yeah, sure, but like most of the waves that I'm around yeah. are just so advanced for me that yeah. I was like, nah. If I was to go out, I'd be like, okay, I need a bodyboard yeah, to ride sure. this crazy slab. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I was to go on a nice, like, easy trip, it'd be awesome to be on a surfboard. Yeah. But most of the stuff I, I do shoot uh, is cool. pretty crazy. And so with that, um, I'll just lean in here to get to the mic. Yeah. So with um, with this uh, with bodyboarding in general, I mean, there's it's no secret that many of the the great photographers, particularly the great water photographers that have really ever been, seem to, in my opinion at least, they've been bodyboarders first. Mm. What, what's that all about? Because it's quite clear, right, that it's a lot of these guys clear. are bodyboarders first. It's very clear. I think, I think there's, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, I think, first of all, being very comfortable wearing swim fins. Yeah? All the time wearing swim fins. Okay. Um, because you put a pair of swim fins, if you've been wearing swim fins for five years, yeah. and then you give somebody a water housing, it's like natural for them. Yeah. If somebody's been surfing, use paddling with their upper arms mm. their whole life, and then you go, here's a water housing, put some swim fins on, they're like, oh, I, I'm not familiar with these swim fins, and then yeah. you kind of, it's like a little bit of a learning curve. Yeah. Um, but if you were to be wearing, like learn how to swim with swim fins all your whole life, yeah. um, it's super, I think that's the learning curve. That's it quite a simple a explanation. Like it's a very, it's very just equipment based one. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, even if you were like, say you were to give a professional swimmer yeah. and say, here, here you go, have, take this water housing and yeah. swim with it. So then they're paralyzed with one arm yeah. and they're trying to swim with like swim fins that yeah. they, maybe they, they train in the pool with, but they don't train in the waves with. Yeah, okay. But with swim fins, you are like, a bodyboarder is like constantly in the waves. Yeah all the time big small with mm. swim fins so as soon as you just give them water housing it's natural for them yeah so. yeah who who in your like you know to speak about some of the your peers I guess you could say but who are some of the the, the better photographers in your opinion that have come from that bodyboarding world like who, whose work do you quite appreciate I guess mm, is the question yeah it'd be definitely Eichner Eichner yeah 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 yeah, yeah definitely um and then before Eichner was like Van Lennep, okay. but he, he wasn't a, he was actually a professional surfer. Okay. So he's um, the exception to this rule. Yeah. And then Hornbaker, Jeff Hornbaker. Yep. Um, sure. So yeah, a lot of, but I would say Eichner, um, I mean, he will, I will go back, I mean, Ross McBride and he, yeah. did, he just hand any bodyboarder a, f- a camera yeah. and they just like, bam, they know how to do it. Exactly. It's so easy. Andre Botha. Yeah. And, like all those guys, like. Just you. I mean, you can give a camera to Mike Stewart. Actually, he did. Yeah, film. exactly. He is a great filmer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. I, I think mean, he does better out of filming than he does out of bodyboarding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Like, yeah. But yeah, it's, it comes down with being comfortable with fin, fins. Yeah. I would say. Okay, but what about? I mean, there's one thing about having fins on, but like at the end of the day, I guess you're you're putting yourself into some pre- 
pretty crazy situations as a as a water photographer. Um, how do you how have you dealt with that in the past? Like what what kind of preparation can you have for it, and and what's the fear to there's a ratio you know like I'm scared but I'm also excited so what's the the balance for you in these moments um I would say the biggest preparation for me was uh first of all being exposed to the like pushing this goes back actually I've just learned this probably in the last like 10 years not the last 20 years is pushing yourself outside the limits Mm. um and that comes from experience like I used to be comfortable like sh- like when you first start out okay two to three four foot waves six foot waves are kind of heavy mm. and then like okay you got to push yourself to six to eight foot waves mm. and then when you shoot four foot waves it feels like super easy yeah. and same with like okay eight to ten foot waves and you just need to push yourself and that's actually a life a life learning thing mm. you really need to push yourself out of the comfort zone yeah um, to, to, to learn um, and if you don't push yourself you're not going to like advance or mm. progress so I would say that is like really pushing myself. I uh, pushing myself for like I, I wouldn't say I trained, but I spent some time in Puerto Escondido uh-huh. before I went to Hawaii. Uh huh. Because in California, it's hard to train for exactly. big waves. Exactly. Exactly. But in Puerto Escondido, it's still sand bottom. Yeah. So mentally, I was like, okay, it's just sand. Yeah, the waves are big. So then when I got to Hawaii, um, I was like, hey, I'm swimming in big waves in in Porto. So I feel okay, but then you're mentally, you're like, fuck, it's reef underneath you, and it's shallower. Yeah. And it's like, you're going to hit. So so then, what? and then, yeah, so, and then after I realized that, it's like, okay, if I'm going to hit the bottom, I need to be flexible. Yeah. You need to be able to learn to, like, if you're going to hit something, hit the bottom, you need to be flexible, have a flexible spine, flexible body, flexible arms. So I started doing yoga. Uh-huh. And then also, like, doing yoga with breathing techniques and, like, mentally preparing yourself, like, being in crazy situations. Um I learned this back in like I would say in the year 2000 it's just like breathing techniques just to be able to calm your calm your heart rate down yeah and or learn to breathe to get as much oxygen as you can when you get in crazy situations mm. so when you are in like like crazy nut situations when it's yeah. like 10 12 15 foot pipe um, or like 8 to 10 foot chopu um that's kind of my borderline eight over eight foot. I don't usually I was don't gonna go, say not after, many people even after, think yeah, the after like after eight foot chopu. I, I probably will stay in the I'll probably stay in the boat, yeah, or I'll sit in the channel totally. totally. Um, but yeah, just like uh, breathing techniques and like relaxing relaxation techniques, yeah, um, with through yoga, mm. I would say help, it helps and prepares me mm. even to, to, to today. It helps me so much with my kids. Yeah, right. Like when I get stressed out or my kids are pushing my buttons, I just think about, fuck, okay, you got to just, just relax. Like, hey, man, you know, and start breathing. Cool. And I even, even today, I, I, I'll teach my kids, like they hurt, they, they, get, they, they get hurt or whatever, and like, oh, it hurts. And they start hyperventilating, freaking out. And it's like, hey, okay, think about your breath, think about your breath. And they start thinking about the breath and they forget that it hurts. And then mm. it's like they're back to normal. Yeah. And it's like all these breathing techniques help a lot. And that stems to yoga. yoga cool. Practice. So that's my pre- preparation for. That sounds, that's interesting. Ways. I mean, it's, um, there's a big movement to the moment around breath. Like, I mean, it seems to be the, you know, you see the Wim Hof, you know, mm-hmm. Iceman's doing some cool shit. And mm-hmm. Have you, have you tried any of that kind of stuff as well? Have you looked into his work? No. Uh, okay. yeah, actually I follow him on social media. Um, I haven't I haven't had time to dive 100% into it. That's that's why I feel that I've, I've been kind of following him and educating educating myself about with with his technique. Yeah. But I feel that it takes it's it's a specific uh, 
you really have to dive dive into it and, yeah. and, 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 and get into it a lot, which is and it's mad respect and it's cool to follow him on social media so because he, he posts so much really great information yeah, yeah, yeah. to prove his point, to yeah. prove his to prove his theories. Totally. So I have tons of respect for that. Yeah, totally. I've tried it out once or twice just with his YouTube um, guided breathing techniques and yeah. it's almost scary the, the the amount of time I was able to go without a breath. Yeah. Like it's like I think I on an out breath I was at two minutes. Yeah. And wow. it's like I you know, you think all your life. We were told for a long time that you, you can't do that kind of stuff. But um yeah, super interesting and I think it's really good. As you said, it's really interesting to hear that what was useful in an eight to you know, an eight foot situation is also useful when your kids are freaking out or when you've got to, you know, deal Stress with everyday out. life issues. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's quite interesting to see that those that technique is actually applicable throughout life, not just it, in crazy situations. No, it is. It is. And you talk to pretty much every top athlete, yeah. like, well, every top surfer, and the breath is, like, the most important thing. I mean, yeah, take, take away your breath for five minutes. And yeah, you, yeah you're done. Minutes and you're, you're, you're done, yeah. Um, do you, being a bodyboarder then originally, do you, do you remember your first ever, like, you know, you mentioned that you worked with Joe Grodston on that, um, on the, on the test pilot stuff for bodyboarding magazine. But do you remember what was the kind of like your memory of the, the first big trip you might've done as a photographer? And I imagine it might've been kind of interesting to be shooting some of the people you probably looked up to or, you know, mm. you know, thought of as kind of gods. Like, was there, is there a trip that you can think of that was like, for whoa, sure. for sure. For sure. So tell me about that. Yeah, so my first big trip was um, after shooting with Joe in California, like the Wedge and all that, um, and also meeting with Paul Roach. Um, my first big trip was, yeah, uh, Puerto Escondido with Roach. Uh-huh. Um, and what really inspired me was, like, uh, Chris Dyball, like yeah, the yeah, photographer, yeah. and Russ Hoover. Yep. He would go down and shoot a lot of the bodyboarders down in Puerto Escondido, and I was like, you know, I want to do that. Yeah. So I called up Paul, and I was like, hey, let's go down to Porto, and, like, I want to shoot you know, uh, shoot you. Yeah. And so that was actually one of my first big trips. Yeah. Um, and I think I still have, I mean, I can, um, the photos actually are being shipped over right now. Oh, from really? From California okay. to, to Sweden. So cool. we're in the shipping container right now as we speak. Uh-huh. Uh, we can, uh, hopefully I can find, go through my folders and find some of those original photos from like 97. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, that, um, that was my first trip, um, with Paul Roach. And uh, the swell was so good that there was a uh, Alan Johnson from he's from San Diego. Uh-huh. He was a surfer. He was already down in he was down in uh, Puerto Escondido with Chris Van Lanup. Okay. And it was the first time I met Chris Van Lanup. Actually, I didn't even meet Chris Van Lanup. I just saw him in my photos in the water. Okay. And these like huge bombs at Porto and yeah. just shooting fisheye. He got all these amazing photos, and I was shooting roach from the beach with my 600 millimeter lens. Yeah. And um, I got photos of uh, Alan Johnson, the surfer from San Diego, and they, I got a small little photo published in Surfing Magazine. Okay. And that's what kind of like sparked me, and it was also kind of helped put my put me like on the editors, like, oh wow, that guy's shooting photos as well. Okay. But it was more of like for me, I was like, no, let's focus on the bodyboarding stuff because that's my passion. Mm. That, at the time, that was my passion, and like it was just more of like easier to get photos published with bodyboarding sure. and stuff like that. And um, those guys, yeah, bodyboarders. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, well, group. well, let's talk about that because you were you were kind of part of a. I mean, in my opinion, as a bodyboarder, um, it was quite a pivotal moment for bodyboarding, and that's the no friends phenomena or generation that happened. 
um, you, you seem to be the go-to photographer during a lot of that period, um, mm. at least in the very beginning. What was it like to be a part of that as a bodyboarder? And, and what was, was there a sense of a big change happening in, the, I guess, the identity and the culture of bodyboarding at the time? I think, I think it was like the identity-wise was more of like the, the identity, the identity for the change was more the filming. Yeah. I think the technology, especially with Stoker's editing. Yeah. Um, the music, I mean, not, uh, yeah, the music, but it was more of like I think the camera technology uh-huh. at that time, and their editing skills of like filming and stuff. Having they they realized with the tools that they had, mm. like especially Ross was mm. the kind of the guy behind it all. He had the idea of like, okay, let's do, let's put this group of people together and let's let's film them, and um, they just realized what they had like with, with filming mm. and what they could do, and then Stoker had a really good uh, like editing technique to make them all look really. I mean, to, I wouldn't say make them look good, but he just made them look amazing. Yeah, uh, and that that's an art in itself is editing. Um, so I. Th- I think I think with the movement, I think that was huge, and that was a way for for them to reach the you, what do you say fans or other bodyboarders, yeah. or that's the only way that they could connect with yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. And then you'd go to the movie you'd go to the movie premieres and stuff like that, and that yeah. was their way to 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 connect. Yeah. I mean, it's different nowadays. Yeah. Um, kind of getting a little bit off track, but nowadays, like people have their Instagram channels and their Facebook channels to yeah. connect with their fans. Yeah. Um, but going back to like, how was it? being like a part of it and stuff like that and uh, yeah it was it was it was fucking cool we were all on an up battle yeah. like it wasn't an up battle it was all just like it was just a huge we had so much like backing and so much motivation um we had like I don't know we, we had like good budgets to travel we had yeah. we had so many new places to explore yeah I mean like going to Chile and like yeah, northern exactly. Chile and stuff like that for the first time I think I think I met it was Cameron Nelson that was like hey man we need to go to like Arica and Iquique Shit. and that was in like I think it was like in the 97 he mentioned it and I think yeah. we might have went in 98 or 99 yeah right and like that was so new and so much more exploring oh yeah um, and then also like I mean, Tahiti was explored already with Ben Severson, um, but like Cook Islands, yeah, yeah, Cook yeah. Islands doesn't have that great of waves. But I mean, just going having the budget to like have a magazine send you, yeah, like and or sponsors send you to go to Cook Islands for like you know ten days, yeah, that was amazing. Um, uh, yeah, just like Mexico, yeah, just be like, hey, I want to go to Mexico like next week. Okay, yeah, go for it. It looks like the waves are gonna be good. Yeah, cool. Um, but yeah, we all the all the no friends crew. They had like we had decent budgets to travel. We yeah. had, you know, so it was like I wouldn't say unlimited, but it was fucking it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a lot of people saw it, and now people are realizing like, holy shit, like wow, look what we used to have. Yeah, you exactly. Know? I mean, for bo- for the bodyboarding world at least, I know yeah. that there's a lot of nostalgia about that period of time because it was that almost like the peak of um, sponsors, magazines, adventures, content. Mm-hmm. Um, and now those now it's in a big change and uh, and and maybe uh, I guess to touch on your your photography career though at the same time as this no friends kind of momentum was building you did you also kind of start to get more surfing shot like trips as well like where did the transition really happen for you when you started to really become more involved in surfing photos for the stand-up crowd or is that yeah yeah no for me I mean the big picture was always 
like for for the way I think mentally and like I'm always trying to advance like become I wouldn't say bigger I, I bigger better how can I make myself better how yeah. can I how can I I wouldn't say more successful but how can I keep advancing hmm. in my life? How can I step, take a step forward and take a, instead of taking a step back? Hmm. So I saw surfing as like a bigger, huger, a bigger stadium, a sure. bigger industry, a bigger challenge. Yeah. So um, as soon as like it was more of like Hank, like Hank photography, yeah, Hank yeah. photo, and like Jeff Devine, no, not Jeff Devine, sorry, Jeff uh, Hornbaker. Yeah. And um, and Aaron Chang. Yeah. Like Aaron Chang kind of stepped down a little bit. So I saw that there was some room for me to move up the ladder at yeah. Surfing Magazine because uh-huh. I was always in the office, like checking out the, f- the surf photography and sure. checking out the bodyboard and working with bodyboarding. So I was always trying to find a some kind of like way in to get my mm. foot in the door. Yeah. I had my foot in the door, but it's more how can I move up the ladder? Yeah. And so I was always like shooting bodyboarding. And at the same time, I was shooting surfing on the side. Um, that was more on the side of bodyboarding the, trips. Yeah, on the side of bodyboarding. Yeah, yeah. And then I just kind of kept going, kind of trying to figure out, okay, how can I get into surfing, surfing? And then finally, uh, uh, some more, like, I just moved up the ladder um, at Surfing Magazine. And then also underneath me, you know, there's other photographers that were moving up the ladder as well yeah. uh, through bodyboarding. Yeah, sure. Like Ross McBride and yeah. like Andre Botha. Well, Andre and uh, Andre and Eddie had a really cool sure. program going sure. during their No Friends time. Yeah. How did um, How did it... I'll give you a chance to drink your beer while I formulate, formulate yeah, the just, question. Just a sip. Yeah. <laughs> but um, how, what was your first big trip for Surfing Magazine? And, and who were the guys that you, I guess, you most enjoyed shooting in the surfing world? What were the, what were the best moments for you in that sphere? Um, I don't know. Like, it's, it's hard to say. My, I, I, can't, I don't know if I remember exactly my first surfing trip, my first big surfing trip. I would say the main uh, proving ground for me, and it's mainly for anyone in the world, was Hawaii. Yeah. Because uh, after like shooting in Hawaii, bodyboarding like three or four seasons, winter seasons, and like I was, I was so focused on bodyboarding in Hawaii, but at the same time, when shooting bodyboarding at backdoor, shooting bodyboarding off the wall, you, the main guys at off the wall and backdoor are surfers. Sure. So you're shooting those guys. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I had so much respect for the surf photographers that I was like, let them go in front of me and like, uh-huh, cool. Okay. Over the first couple of years. And it's proving ground. It's like, you, it's Hawaii. Yeah. So you got to prove yourself and you got to show respect. Hmm. So there was like, as soon as, but as soon as a bodyboarder would go on a wave, the surf photographers would kind of step back. Hey, Jeff, go for it. Yeah. And then the same thing. So that was, and then at the same time, <clears throat> I was always, when the waves were shitty, I was out there shooting photos of the surfers when the waves were shitty. Sure. But the other surf photographers, like, the waves were shitty, and I would get some random photos here and there, and, like, okay, yeah. And then, so that was, like, I would say that was my main, my main, my main trip would be, like, Hawaii. Yeah, And that sure. was, like, that was probably three or four winters. So three or four years it took me yeah. to kind of get my foot in the door with Surfing Magazine. Wow. And wow. people, that's that's the thing. Kids now, not kids, but people nowadays, they want to, like, grab a camera or they did grab a camera and they, like, want to become famous in, like, a couple months. Sure. And they can be. Yeah. But it's like it's like anything, man. It takes years. It takes it takes time. With that, because um, this is this is kind of a nice segue to one of the other questions I had is a, um, you're a photographer that's kind of spanned a few... I guess you would say, not generations, but kind of like um, periods of time with technology, like technological Mm. shifts. One of those shifts has been to digital, like Mm. from film to digital, and then it's basically been from into the online world and how that's affected the whole whole game. How how has that 
how did that affect you as a photographer particularly maybe not so much the shift from film to digital but that shift into the online world and and how the, the how the business stuff. worked yeah um uh, it's really it's really hard i mean there was in the year 2000 it was amazing because we had this whole internet boom mm-hmm. so um people had no idea where it was going what it was doing so we had huge amounts of money put yeah. into surfing magazine for yeah. the internet um same with surfer magazine uh we had all these like we had hard cloud we had was it we had so much money put in i i got huge bonuses in the year 2000 and then uh all those investors just stopped putting money in because there was no money involved with it <laughs> yeah there was no return but yeah there was no return but like uh I think in the year 2000 is kind of when it started a little bit. Mm. And then, um, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. moving away from the mic yeah, as he sorry. talked. I was just, just shifting my <laughs> yeah. hips actually, yeah. adjusting my hips. Um, yeah, no, uh, let's see. I would say 2000, 2005 is when it was, I mean, the year 2000 was the internet boom. Yeah. But it didn't really have an effect on the print print media and stuff like that. It wasn't uh-huh. big enough because people didn't have access to the internet. Sure. I would say around 2005-ish is when the websites started growing. Um, and then 2007 is when it really, really like 2006, 2005, 2006, 2007, it really grew. And then 2008, like the whole economy crashed in America yeah. and like things just shifted from there. Um, okay. So there was a lot of money. What you're saying is there was actually a lot of money being pumped into these websites, yeah. and they didn't. Yeah. They didn't even really care. They didn't really know what the return was going to be. Yeah, they just. And so the photographers were pretty sweet in that period. Yeah, editors like all the editors and photographers. Uh huh. Because they would, you know, I mean, back then a lot of people weren't connected to websites and stuff like that. So yeah, you'd get. I don't know how many. A couple hundred followers, yeah. a couple hundred people checking out your website. Yeah, a couple, maybe let's just say a thousand, two thousand people a month mm. checking out your website. Like that's, I don't know. Back then, that was nothing. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like you got to be in the millions. Yeah, or exactly. You got yeah. to be like you got to be huge. Yeah, um, and that's where the money is. Yeah, but back then it was just like they didn't know. Yeah. We, we didn't know, but people were investing in us to create the to create the. Uh, the content mm. and then we also didn't have social media so it was mm. only content for websites sure and then we were able to like with with the website with the web stuff we were able to like cross cross over like okay we're gonna run the shitty photos on the internet yeah and then we'll put the the a plus stuff on the, in the magazines sure type it up and that was kind of like our part of our media team who we had a really good uh, some really good editors choosing choosing to take that route it was like hey let's keep the internet happy by putting these shitty photos on sure. the internet and then we'll run the we'll run the cream of the crop on the on the print and hype yeah. it up. So that was that was good. And now it's I mean it's definitely changed now. I mean now it's like the internet is gets the cream of the crop and then the print is like it's interesting it's old huh? school. It's just totally because everyone wants everyone wants photos yesterday. Yeah, they they don't want it now. They want it like when's it? I get people still to this day like, hey, we're looking for a photo of this guy and like, yeah, uh, it was shot. Uh, it was on this trip like a couple years ago. This and that and I was like. Okay, cool. Um, when's the deadline? Oh, our deadline was yesterday. I'm like, well, fuck. I, I need to scan. <laughs> I need to like find the photo in my photo files and then like scan it to you and stuff. Okay. And it's like, oh, well, it's past our deadline. It's like, fuck, man. Like, okay. So there's been another change there. Then so there's this expectation of speed, mm. light speed to match the internet essentially. Yeah. And because of the news, this happens now. Exactly. It and so now. is this? Do you think? Because. Um, 
it seems to me like there's been a lot of photographers who've just left, like particularly the surfing world. They basically just didn't yeah. change or couldn't really deal with this new way of doing business or whatever, and they just put the housing away and just went and did other things in life. Um, is there a new generation in this kind of in this world of surfing and journalism, and they just don't understand what it used to be like either? They only know what's happening now or do you feel like there's a disconnect i don't know if there's a disconnect i think like i would say the i would say a couple of the only people that i that i follow that i know i would say would be clark little and chris burkhart yeah they're like they have their instagram and they have their social media in the millions and they're they're the ones that are making money yeah um I know Clark Little is used to, like, he used to get a couple of two-page spreads in, like, Surfer's Journal. Yeah. Like, 10 years ago. and yeah. And Surfer Magazine, like, 10 years ago. But now he probably laughs at that because, I mean, he, he and same with Chris Burkhart, you know, yeah. they, they, they have their own platform now. Yeah. And I don't know, like, a lot of the people, like, now just do it just for their social media. And yeah. I don't know how many people are making money off of it, actually yeah. making a profit yeah. uh, to pay off their gear and their time, you know, the time. It's more of like, just, it's more, it's, I would say it's more hobby stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it's also the surfers too. Their surfers are doing an amazing job. I mean, you got to give it to GoPro. They took over. Yeah, They totally. had a huge influence on the surf, surf photography industry because mm. the surfers now are getting Taking their own photos. Yeah, t- I mean, look at look at McCullough Jones's yeah. like the cover of Surfer Journal. That yeah, is like right. one of the best photos I've ever seen. Yeah, and yeah, that was yeah. shot with a GoPro. Yeah, wow. And he shot it himself. He didn't wow. need a photographer. That's interesting. I, I I saw that photo. And I was like, I sent an email to McCullough. I was like, McCullough, I want a print of that. Like, yeah. fuck, send me a high res. And he's Sick. like, man, it's only twelve megabytes. He's like, it doesn't really blow up that good. It won't blow up on your wall that good. But yeah, I was like, Sick. fuck, I don't care. Send me the raw file. Sick. Have you, one of the interesting things that let's get to this, you know, you're, you're based out of Sweden now. Um, how did you end up here? What was the, what, what exactly happened? That is a, that's a good, that's like the money question. Everyone's asking <laughs> me, what the fuck are you doing in Sweden? Yeah. So it goes back to like working for Surfing Magazine in the, in the early, like the mid 2000s, like 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008. Um, and like, I would say 2005- our magazine used to be like 200 pages or like same with Transworld, same with Surfer Magazine. We used to have like so many advertisers and our, like our budgets and stuff were huge. Mm. So I was, I had, I, I don't know, I don't want to say exactly how much my travel budget was, yeah, but sure. I had a huge, a nice, comfortable travel budget. Sure. I had a nice, comfortable like film budget when I was shooting film yeah, right. that I was able to tally over to my digital uh-huh. and I was able to buy digital gear and uh-huh. put it on my film expenses. Um, and we, yeah, so I was, so I was traveling, like, I remember, like, a lot of people saw, like, my stuff from Japan in, like, 2006. Hmm. I just remember, like, being able to go from, like, Fiji to Puerto Escondido to Japan and, like, or going from, like, Portugal to, like, uh, South Africa overnight and buying tickets for like $5,000 like just like an editor like my Evan Slater just going yeah no problem no, no problem no problem like whatever, whatever we need to do because our budgets were huge like mm-hmm. our budget was com- very comfortable yeah um, and so when I came to Surfing Magazine or so when I went to Surfing Magazine and said hey look um, I want to move to Sweden I want to be the Euro guy 
Uh-huh. I wanna, okay. I wanna, I wanna go find slabs. I wanna go to Ireland. I wanna go to England. I wanna go to France. I wanna go. I wanna be like. I wanna live in Scandinavia. Mm. And at the time when it came, when in the year two thousand seven, mm. when I proposed to it, uh, all of our budgets were huge, and it was uh-huh. like, dude, no problem. You can be our Euro guy, yeah, and you right. can still, you can still go to Tahiti. You can sure. still go to Hawaii. There's yeah, no problem. Right. So that's what I did. Is we, in 2007, I planned to move to Sweden. In 2000, and in 2008, yeah. I moved to Sweden. Right. And then in 2008, when I moved to Sweden, the economy crashed. It did, big time. And the huge economy crash. I was still able to ride that economy crash. Like our budgets were kept getting slashed every year. Um, I rode it from 2008 to 2011. Okay. I was still able to That's travel. That's pretty good. I was still able to travel. Mm. And from 2011 to 2013, I was freelancing. Uh-huh. I was kind of doing a lot of stuff for Red Bull and yeah. um, like Hurley and Patagonia. And from 2011 to 2013. And then in 2013, I would say I, I pretty much stopped sh- shooting surfing full time. Or my free, I just stopped doing it because it was just, it just crashed. Yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of how I like. It was no problem. Everybody in the office at Serving Magazine was like a hundred percent behind me in two thousand seven. Yeah. So we decided like, cool. My wife was like, hey, I want to live like because I was traveling so much. Yeah. That my wife was like, hey, I want to li- live closer to my friends and family while you're yeah. traveling. Sure. And that was no problem with the magazine. They were like, no problem. You can live in Sweden. Yeah. Easy. Just fly cool. out of, if you're gonna fly out of Copenhagen. It's the same as flying out of LAX. Yeah. It just costs an extra couple like eight hundred dollars to go to Fiji. Yeah. It's in an extra 12 hours or yeah, whatever, sure. but no worries. Like, um, so that was that was how like I moved to Sweden. Okay, and, and it and was never a permanent thing. Yeah, okay. until the economy crashed. Uh huh. And then and now it's kind of been a permanent thing where it's like, how are we going to move back? And now that we have Donald Trump, it's like, why go back? <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's no reason not a to great go back. time to go back. Although I should say, <clears throat> in defense of California, um, I mean I'm an Aussie. I, I'm not an American, so I don't know that personal feeling when your political leaders get weird. Yeah. But um, but I got to say, you know, California's a pretty still a, quite a special place in the American landscape, and it's not the same as the rest of of America when it comes to these things. I find like no. you've got great local things happening over there, and same on the East Coast, like in New York and stuff. They're they're almost like different countries. To me, when I yeah. go there, it's yeah. and it's like Hawaii as well. Exactly, Hawaii, yeah, California Hawaii as well. Yeah, Hawaii. They're all zone. a bit different. Yeah, it's beautiful, and they're still really special and yeah. really positive and, and good places. But um, okay, so you're stuck in Scandinavia. Yeah. No, I, but now, but but the thing is, is like now I have two kids and I yeah. fucking love it. And yeah. Then the, and then the the whole surf photography thing has gone upside down. Yeah. Um, which is like a bad thing, but then you you know shit happens for a reason. Yeah. And now I have two amazing kids, and I'm the weather outside. Side is 30 degrees. I'm wearing slippers, drinking yeah. a beer. Yeah, totally. And, totally. Uh, talking with you. How do you find living in Sweden, though? Like, what are some of the quirky things that maybe people don't realize about this country to live? There's a lot of ideas about it, but what are some of the things that surprised you about Sweden when you came here to live? It's it's a really small country. If you think, if you think about it, mm. it's a it's a big country, but it's small in people. Mm-hmm. It's only like I think it's like nine million. Sorry, it's like 9 million people. Yeah. Um, which is the same population as Los Angeles. Yeah. But it's a huge country from north to south. Um, Technology-wise, it's yeah. huge around the world. Yeah. We have all this amazing, like, technology. It's an extremely advanced country mm. that I don't think people realize how, how advanced it is. Mm. Um, 
but at the same time, the weather sucks. Fuck. The weather is horrible. Mm. Um, and that's suck. Yeah, and, you know, that's what breaks down most people. Yeah. Uh, and that's when most people, like, get divorces and leave and stuff. But mm. going back, that's where I'm well-traveled. I don't care about leaving that much. It's like I, I don't care about getting on a plane that much anymore. Um, but, yeah, the weather sucks here. It's cold. <laughs> it's fucking cold. It's fucking cold. It's very cold. But see, um, a Swede wouldn't even like. Swedes won't disagree with you on that one no, either. They, they all know. Yeah, they know it sucks. Yeah, and you know, and that's why you kind of plan your vacations in the winter time instead of summertime. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this. The, but how, what would people like want to know, or what would you share about Sweden, or what would they know? Um, I would say the technology and how educated people are. Yeah, it's like people are very well educated. Um, it's a different type of culture than America. Mm-hmm. Like social, social. Like when you're talking with people on yeah. the streets and stuff, it's so different. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you're from Australia. Yeah. Uh, it's so different. People in Australia totally. are very open to talking out sure. in public, and same with in America. You can like an American, you can walk up to him like, "Hi, how are you? What's what are you doing today?" Yeah. In Sweden, they 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 don't meet. They just they uh, they just are to themselves, and they're sure. they're. they're they're trained to be like, hey, like, I'm not gonna, t- I, I'm not really supposed to talk to you, or I, I don't want to talk to you. But yeah. that don't mean it in a bad way. You just have to realize that. Yeah. My theory on that is that you know, like, they're quite famous for their social welfare system in Sweden, yeah. and for me, it's like they, it's almost like they out, they pay off the need to be really social in yeah. the real world. Like, yeah, yeah. whereas Aussies and Americans are a bit more individualistic, so we kind of we try to avoid taxes all the time it's like a national sport in Australia I'm sure it's probably the same thing in America but um, but then we're quite social we choose to be more social in, in our everyday lives and yeah. maybe Swedes feel like they've already paid for that yeah. into the system like oh the system's looking after you I don't need to you don't need my help in the streets I don't know it's an interesting place um, how have you gone with the language here I mean have you, have you, um, bad. Did you, yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but actually, since I have two kids now, um, my kids speak Swedish at home with my wife, and I speak English at home with my kids. So my Swedish has really grown a lot, hearing my kids speak Swedish sure. to my kids. And then people, like Swedish people, get so frustrated with my Swedish that they just speak English to me. Totally. Because they're so good at speaking English. Um, I do have some colleagues at my, at the, my job. Um, that only speak Swedish to me. Great. Um, and I will speak English back to them. <laughs> and then I try to speak some Swedish back to them. And, and yeah, but I mean, my Swedish has grown since I've had kids. Yeah. Uh, my Swedish has grown a lot. Totally. But um, I, I would say I get by. Coming to um, coming to another country like this, I mean, it's obviously important to make friends and to build your own kind of network and things like that. We were talking a little bit before we started the interview about your kind of your journey into the surfing scene here. Um, if you want to let the listener know, like, what was you, you mentioned that one of the approaches you had? You just cold sent some emails cold to the to surfing people, and that, that's how things got started with you getting integrated a bit more here. Is that kind of a piece of advice you'd give? Um, yeah, I just, I mean, it was early. It was like ten years ago. So the Swedish the Swedish surfing system, Swedish surfers were like still very young. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just. I'm, but then again, it's like. I kind of realized I did have a little bit of name yeah. uh, in the surf industry, so sure. I could like 
email like surfers in Sweden and they would and I'd kind of okay hopefully they know my name and they would be like hey man Jeff what the yeah. fuck are you like <laughs> what are you fucking doing like emailing me and it's like well I'm moving I'm moving there in a couple months like what's like That's how, sick. let's let's shoot photos I, I'm interested in finding your local spots and yeah. stuff like that and people were like would escort me like oh yeah come here come here oh yeah, my god it's yeah. like everybody like would call me like come 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 shoot come shoot sure. come shoot <clears throat> um but yeah, I mean, and then there's people that like they move here and they're like, "Hey, I'm a surfer or I'm a bodyboarder. Yeah, uh, I want to come and surf." And it's like, uh, "No, we don't want it more crowded." Yeah, exactly. We if you're a photographer, crowded. it's a different. Yeah, story. if you're a photo- if you're like yeah. a photographer. So I did get I did get welcomed in in open arms. Sure. Um, and I mean, I, that's something that I actually worked on for years and years and years is like building my name in the surf industry. Yeah. Um, to going back to like, how did you? how did you go from like bodyboarding how did you go from bodyboarding photographer to surfing photographer and it's like yeah you build your name in the sur- in the bodyboarding industry and then you build your name in the surf industry yeah and it happens over years and years and years it doesn't happen overnight yeah so I realized okay I got a little bit yeah I got a little bit of name so maybe I can maybe call some people and totally um, and then we have tools like we have the internet to connect with people yeah you know you can go to website forums and stuff like that and uh and that's what I would do. And, my, and when I moved to Sweden, my wife told me, she's like, no, we don't have surfing. We don't have waves in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She told me that. And I was like, really? And I was yeah. like, cool. I think the second day I lived in Sweden, I was already connected with like Freddie Meadows and like Matthew <laughs> and stuff. But one of the things um, I guess is interesting maybe for, for the Nordic listener is, um, or and also actually those those more from other places around the world, What? how would you describe the surfing the waves here in the scene and let's just start with the waves i mean i was surprised by the waves so what were your thoughts on it all and and what are some of the insights you might have there um i i had no expectations i was expecting it to be like really shitty and just like 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 the great lakes or like michigan just like some shitty thing but then once i saw how like like wind swell and like the wind's blowing like over you know 12 15 meters per second it's kind of like 15 meters per second is like proper swell here Mm. in sweden yeah um and then being growing up or shooting around reefs like hard bottom like reefs like being in chile being in like uh, hawaii being in all these places where it's like really really hard reef um it's i think sweden i was very surprised but sweden I tried to explain this. I was trying to. I was talking with Corey Lopez and the Hobgood oh, yeah. brothers. Sure. I was like, man, there's like we have such good lefts that you guys have to come, and they're like, what? Yeah. They're like, no, no. I'm like, you guys, it's they're like proper lefts that like they can go for like 50 meters, and you yeah. can be able to do like two or three like really good turns and almost get barreled. Sure. And like it's overhead. Yeah. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And the reason why is because the ocean floor, I, the ocean floor, most of the like the shelf here in Sweden. Yeah. Is like super solid rock. Yeah. So when the when like the conditions get together with the tide the winds and everything come together you can get amazing waves yeah uh it might happen for one hour out of the whole swell Mm. but you have to be on it um or it could happen for four hours i've never seen it happen for a full day because when the tides get too high or the water level get it's not tide it's a water level sure gets pushed up too high sure um but it's just I, I am very amazed on the ocean floor, like the the setups of the of the the contour of the ocean floor, for what the for what the swell does, for what mm. the waves are, or for like the wave period and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so it's it's a different it's a definitely a different breed, but it's 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 awesome. Mm. 
Um, it's and it's hard to explain to people because you can't explain it. Yeah, you just have to come and see it, and you might not ever see it because yeah. you might come for like five days. Exactly, and it might be shitty. Exactly, it's like you live here, and it's like you just got to be on it, on it, on it. Yeah, it's crazy. And for you with shooting and things like that and getting in the water, like I mean, had you done much cold water photography beforehand, or is that kind of that has to be one of the downsides of it. No, I would say, I mean, that's kind of what turns me off nowadays is yeah. the cold water stuff is like, it's, it's, it's tough in the winter time when it's real windy and cold. Mm. It's tough because the light is really low. Sure. Although like our camera sensors are getting better under low light. Yeah. But, um, it's like maybe light only four hours to six hours out of the day sure. and then super windy and cold. So I'm like, okay, I can wait another two or three months and I'll get the same wind yeah. and I'll get better light. Sure. And then I just like, I, and then, and then, okay, it's the end of winter. Fuck, the water's like four degrees. Yeah. I can just wait a couple more months. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now it's summertime <laughs> and I can, I can shoot for 12 hours. Yeah. I have 12, I have like 16 hours of light yeah. and the water's like 15 to sure. 20 degrees. So that's kind of my mindset now. And okay. most surfers are like that as well. Sure. There's a couple of hardcore surfers in the summer, t- in the winter time that will like that will do the same like they, they just need to get in the water yeah um but and that comes with age i think i'm just getting old um that's a young that's excusable yeah but the younger guys and stuff like that but um and and you know and i mean it comes to having two kids as well it's hard to i gotta take sure. them to school i gotta pick them up from school so i just don't have the time to do that anymore when i first moved to sweden i was totally able to I didn't have any kids, so yeah. and I was uh, freelancing, or I was working for Surfing Magazine, so that was my job, was to shoot surfing. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I just I shot surfing up until full-time until 2013. Um, so, and then I had put my, my first kid was born in 2011, so, um, but yeah, it, it, but it's going back to, like, uh, shooting and stuff in the cold water, it's, yeah, you just wait a couple months, and then it gets warmer, but... It has to be really, really good for me to um, to go in the cold. But at the same time, we have amazing wetsuits. The technology is yeah. getting better and better and better. Mm. Um, so that's it's really comfortable in the water. It's just still like when you're wearing a lot of rubber to mm. like have that freedom to like to swim with the water housing and stuff. Uh, but but I, still, I still get motivated to shoot. Yeah. When I see the light is beautiful and the yeah. waves are good. I'm still motivated. I love it. Once again, that was an episode of the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations podcast with me, your host, Joshua B. Kirkman. A huge thank you to Jeff Flint for dropping by and uh, spending some time having a chat about his career and the work that he does. Thanks a lot, Jeff, and we look forward to seeing you in the water soon. A reminder to you all out there, all you dear listeners, that uh, we do have indeed a web shop where you can collect the whole set of the Nordic Surfers Magazine print edition. It looks wonderful on a uh, bookshelf. So please don't hesitate to visit our web shop, which you can find at nordicsurfersmag.ticktail.com. Once again, thanks for tuning into this podcast. We um, would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Feel free to give us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate that. And if you have any ideas for special guests or any other ideas for the podcast, please, please do send them to us either through our social media media channels on Instagram, Facebook, or flick us an email. We'd love to hear from you. That's all for now, and tune in for more from the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations podcast. Thanks.